ahead and let's pray, and then we'll spend a little bit of time in the text this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you. Once again, we are so very thankful for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins, that was buried and rose again on the third day. We thank you that you have worked in our hearts and intervened in our hearts so that we may embrace your Son on the basis of faith. We thank you for your word that you've laid out exactly what you ask of us and that it leads us and guides us and it gives us principles. We ask as we continue looking into the book of Proverbs that your spirit would be working in our hearts, revealing areas that we need to repent, uh, encouraging us to live more like your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you and we love you for everything you've blessed us with in your son's name. Amen. So, um, in a couple weeks, my family is going on a giant road trip. should be fun. We're going to go through Montana, Wyoming, South Dakota. We have to go through Minnesota. We're not excited about it, but we have to. And then we're going to go to Wisconsin. We actually haven't planned the way back yet, which we have plenty of time. But I actually really enjoy road trips. I don't know how many of you do. Uh, and I was thinking about this morning of certain things that are uh, required for a road trip. And I wrote a couple down. And this morning when I was uh, rehearsing, I realized I, I meant to say snacks and I put snakes. And I thought, well, no, you don't bring snakes on a road trip unless you want to. Nobody. No, but I thought, well, you definitely didn't know where you're going, right? A road trip. You can't go on a road trip. If you don't know where you're going, you need to check road conditions, right? Lots of prayer. Um, And I think the idea of a road trip is a really good analogy of spiritual life, the spiritual life of any person. In a sense, we could say that theologically, every single human being is on a spiritual road trip, on a spiritual journey. Uh, Some are going to end up in a far better place than others, But that doesn't negate the fact that everyone is, in fact, on a road trip, on a journey. And believers, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, obviously will get a far superior destination than those who are not in Christ. And this morning, as we're going through the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 15, uh, this morning we're going to try to go through verses 18 through 24, we're going to talk about this spiritual road trip. And in a sense, there's two parts to this text. So from verses 18 to verses 23, what we're going to talk about is a description of two things. A a description of the travelers and a a, a depiction of the actual road that they're traveling on, right? So the people who are traveling, some of the characteristics they have, and and even even the, the walkway or the road or the highway, the path that they're going on, that's going to be described. And there's going to be the description of the wise and the description of the foolish. In verse 24, we're going to see the destination. And we're going to see that one path leads up, literally, and the other path leads down. That's, that's the words that's used there in verse 24. So, let's go to Proverbs 15, verse 18, and let's look at the description of both the path and the traveler. And notice the first description of the path and the traveler. 
It says, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger calms a dispute. So this word here for hot-tempered, literally in the Hebrew, has the idea of somebody who's a hothead. Uh, one, one translator said he's a man of fire. I like that. Speaks of, uh, it really has the idea of boiling water. So the idea of somebody who's hot-tempered here is like boiling water. It's heated up and it starts to bubble and, and it's frantic. So this type of person who is easily set off, easily boils over, somebody who flips their lid, somebody who is a man of fire, a hothead, notice what this one does. He stirs up strife. The word for stirs up here is probably a good word. It, it kind of still invokes that idea of a, of a fire, kind of like a, a, a you know, when, you, when you're doing a fire at the house and you got that, my mind just went blank of what you call it, a prod it's not a prod, it's a, that can't be it. No, I'm joking. Yeah, the poker. Yeah, and you're sitting there and you're stoking the flames, right? You're stoking the coals, and as you're stoking the coals, what ends up happening is air to the fire, and the fire gets bigger, significantly bigger. And that's the idea here of stirring up. So just imagine somebody at a campfire taking a stick and, and, and moving around the coals so that it gets hotter. And notice what he's doing. He's stirring up strife. And the word here for strife is interesting. It speaks of uh, a verbal quarrel. It, it speaks of a, of a pretty massive debate. It speaks of a massive dispute of some kind. And isn't this true? Isn't this principle true? Have you ever been around somebody who has a really bad temper and they're always in a fight? They're always in a quarrel. They're always in a verbal argument with somebody. And it just seems like every time you talk to them, they're like, yeah, not really friends with that person right now, and I'm in a quarrel over here, and I'm talking to this person, and they said something that got me mad, and I had to say something. I mean, can't let stuff like that go, and that, that's the kind of language that somebody who has a hot temper, that's the type of language that they use, and then notice the contrast that Solomon uses here, but someone who's slow to anger, and we've seen this word before, it, it, the word is literally long-nosed, right? So, uh, somebody who's slow to anger has a long nose. So uh, the one guy has too hot of a head. The other guy has a really long nose. And the idea of the long nose is it's a long time before he blows out steam out of his nose. That's the image, right? So it's a long time before he heats up. So you have one person who heats up like this, another person that it takes time. It's a slow burn. It's a slow fuse. And this one, instead of stirring up a conflict... He calms a dispute. I found it interesting that the word here for dispute is the same word that's used in legal briefings at the time. And so it would speak of something far more than just, uh, just a little spat. We're talking about something that, is, that could go before, the court of, before a court of law. Pretty serious stuff. But notice that here, the second one who is slow to anger calms the dispute. He is one who is like a wet blanket, he is one that stops it from going to be anything bigger, right? He's a peacemaker. He's bringing in peace. Now, this is the principle, and this is what it looks like, and I was, this past week, I was convicted by it, and I, I was reminded of that passage that we went through when we studied the book of Galatians, and realizing that we could just say to each other, it's not okay to be angry and to 
Don't have a short temper. Don't be a hothead. But that doesn't work. The only thing that stops someone from having a out-of-control anger, expressions of wrath, is when they place their faith in Christ and they're under the control of the Holy Spirit. It is only those who are walking by the Holy Spirit that are able to be self-controlled, be loving enough, and not fly off the handle. So just let, let's just go there as, as recap. Go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We will start in verse 16. Paul says, I say, walk by the Spirit. So remember, this walking by the Spirit is, is yielding to the power of the Spirit, yielding to the control of the Spirit. It's yielding to the Scriptures. It, it, it's, this, it's this idea of asking God to help you yield yourself to that power that, that, is, that is given to you by the Holy Spirit to do what is right, to say yes to what is right and no to what is wrong. It's saying yes and yielding to the power of the Spirit who's making us more into the image of Jesus Christ. So walk by the Spirit and notice what, notice what it says. And you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So if you're walking by the Spirit, you won't be walking by the flesh. I, I think the opposite is true as well. If you're walking by the flesh, you will not carry out the desires of the Spirit. You will not carry out God's will. And then notice what he says in 17. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not longer under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Notice this, enmity, strife, jealousy. Notice this one outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. You could have just pulled that right out of, the, right out of our text this morning, right? Somebody who's hot-headed, has disputes. All of this is an evidence of the fruit of the Spirit. And remember when we were talking here in verse 19 where it says, and the fruit or the deeds of the, the, deeds of the flesh are evident, meaning these things are obvious. We, we know what it looks like for somebody to cause a dispute. We know what this looks like for somebody to have jealousy, right? I mean, I mean, these things are obvious. They're rampant. It's very clearly seen. Now, you might not see it in yourself, but trust me, it is clearly seen. So these are the things that come out of the flesh, right? And as a believer, when we place our faith in Christ, remember, we still have some of that fleshliness left, and we still struggle with that stuff. And this stuff still comes out. And this is something that we must repent of and yield to the power of the Spirit to stop these things. These things are coming out, right? And just by nature of Paul here, when he says the flesh sets his desire against the Spirit, realize this, that for every believer, there is a part of you that does not want to submit itself to the Lord. So here's the battle and the temptation. These are things that you already want to do. The temptation then is there. Therefore, it is really an uphill battle with an avalanche coming down on you. Notice just in verse 21 how there's envying, there's drunkenness, there's carousing, and things like these, which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you that those who practice such things, meaning 
uh, people that are doing these things without the Lord Jesus Christ. They are characterized by these things. They are doing these things without any sense of remorse or any sense of repentance. That's the idea here of practicing. It's not saying if you do any of these. It's you adhering to these and you're not attempting to stop them through the means of Jesus Christ and the Spirit. If you're doing this, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And then here's the contrast, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, right, it's produced by the Spirit, by yielding to the Spirit. And this fruit is different than the flesh. The flesh has many different ways that it comes out. The fruit of the Spirit is just one fruit, right? It's just one product. And notice what this product is. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Just think of this, by the way, in contrast in, in the book of Proverbs where he talked about the guy who's slow to anger. To be slow to anger, you have to be loving, you have to be joyful, you have to be peaceable, you have to be patient, you have to be kind, and you have to have gentleness and self-control. And so the, the contrast here of the first thing that we see about the description of a person who's walking on this path, as we as believers should strive to be, it is one who is under the control and influence of the Holy Spirit, and it is one who's yielding to the Holy Spirit, and it is one who is able to have self-control. It's one who's able to have patience. It's one who is able not to fly off the handle. So this is the first description of the traveler and of the path. Now notice the next one in verse 19 of Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 19 of Proverbs chapter 15 says, the way of the lazy is as a hedge of thorns. It's kind of an interesting phrase here because normally when you think of a lazy person, you're not thinking of a lazy person walking, right? In the book of Proverbs, the lazy person is the one that is on his bed swiveling back and forth. He says, I don't want to do those types of things. But just think about it. The lifestyle of a lazy person, and I would say that, yeah, it probably speaks of somebody who lacks work ethic, of course. But I think primarily what Solomon's getting at here is spiritual laziness, especially when you consider the second part when it talks about the path of the upright, those who are walking with the Lord. So it's the contrast between those who are spiritually diligent and those who are spiritually apathetic. So somebody who's spiritually apathetic, notice their lifestyle. Their lifestyle is like walking through a hedge of thorns, I don't know how many of you have hedges at your house. I don't know how many of you want hedges at your house. I don't know how many of you ever tried walking through a hedge. Not fun. Really hard to do, right? Because it's really tight, close. Then add thorns inside of those hedges. Well, that doesn't sound fun either. So when you get the sense, the sense you get is somebody who's spiritually lazy they're walking down a path, and they're really supposed to be maintaining that path, but they let it grow over, and these hedges grow out into the path, and as they're growing out, there's these thorns that are coming up. And so as they're walking, it's really difficult for them to move. It almost stops them from moving forward spiritually. And as they walk into the hedge, there is pain, there is discomfort, there is gashes, there's blood. It's, it's, it's difficult and hard for them to move. It is full of pain. I, I think about this, and 
I think about times of spiritual laziness in my life where there was not this repentance of sin, this trying to walk for the Lord. And doesn't it seem like when you try to then start walking for the Lord, there's all this stuff you got to get out of the way. And it takes a long time to clear out this path. And the obvious advice would be, don't be lazy in your spiritual life. It's not worth it. And if you are, this is the type of life that you have to look forward to. This really dense thicket of briars and thorns, and it's full of pain, it's slow, it's full of inability to move, it causes lots of damage. But So this is one, right? So this is one path. If we were going on a road trip, by the way, we wouldn't say, oh, let's take the one that we have to go through all of the bushes, Right? We would say, let's take the highway. Notice the next part of the verse. He says, but the path of the upright, right? The one who is, the one who is, is right with the Lord, the one who is living according to God's law, the one that's in Christ. This path, this lifestyle of, of one who's yielding to the Holy Spirit is, is a highway. The word here literally for highway is an exalted path. So you think about it, one path goes right through the midst of the bushes and doesn't care, and it's almost impossible to move through, right? Difficult, slow. The, the pathway of the righteous is like this road that's built up above it so that you can easily walk and not get tripped up, easily walk and your clothes is not snagged. It, it seems to be very trimmed. So one is slow moving and it's hurtful and it, your clothes get snagged, you get snagged. The other one, this one, the path of the the highway, is smooth sailing. You won't be tripped up. And that's really really what I think Solomon has in mind here, is this idea of there's not a lot of moral failing if you follow God's word. If you desire to be like the Lord Jesus Christ and yield yourself to the power of the Spirit. There is not a lot of things that will trip you up. There's not a lot of things that will scratch you. It's smooth sailing. That's the far better path, right? So we're seeing the description of this path. It's one that's self-controlled. It's one that's under the control of the Holy Spirit. It's one that's following the word of God. It's one that's looking to Jesus Christ as the ultimate example. It's smooth going, this particular path. Notice verse 20. Verse 20 is very interesting. It says, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. This is an interesting parallelism here. Not only do you have in the first part of the parallelism about the father's gladness of a son that, that's, that's acting wisely, and then in the last part you then have this son that's acting foolishly and how it affects his mother. That's just interesting in among itself. But what's, what's interesting is the wise son is wise not to make his father glad, Wisdom in the book of Proverbs is very clearly from the fear of the Lord. And remember what the fear of the Lord is. That's taking God seriously. Every single passage that we read in the book of Proverbs must be tethered to that concept of the fear of the Lord. That's how we read it. That's how we interpret it. That's the key of interpretation. So a wise son is not going out of his way to make his father glad. He is walking in wisdom, take, making, or taking his walk with the Lord seriously, wanting to please God, and one of the results of living a godly life is, generally speaking, parents are pleased.
pleased with the outcome, right? A wise person walking according to God's wisdom receives the applaud of parents, normally speaking. And I think that's the idea here. So as I think about this, I I think about the Ten Commandments. It's almost impossible not to think about this. Children, honor your father and mother so that it may go well with you. Not simply just to honor them, just to honor your parents, but honor God, and by, by result, then you're going to honor your parents. Also say this to us who are parents. We have lots of dreams on our children. We put a lot of that on our children, don't we? we, we sometimes we even try to live vicariously through them. And sometimes we are not happy when they do decide to live for the Lord. I remember when I was in Bible college talking to some missions organizations, they said the biggest difficulty for people entering the missions field is their parents. And the number one thing that they hear over and over again is parents saying to children, how dare you take my grandkids away from me by going on the mission field? I think think biblical parents should be glad every time our children walk in wisdom and they walk according to God's word. I think we should be the greatest cheerleaders of children when they decide to walk for the Lord and live for the Lord. We should be applauding and congratulating them and encouraging that. That, that, That's what a church is supposed to look like. That's what edifying looks like, and that's what we as godly parents should be desiring, should be desiring our children to walk with the Lord regardless, right? But notice the next part. Because the first principle is true. Notice the second principle. A foolish man despises his mother. Now, there's two ways of reading this. One, that his folly actually makes him hate his mother. So living in sin breeds hate. And the person that the foolish man hates is the one who nurtured him growing up. So there's this hatred of his mother. I suppose that's true. However, I think most likely what Solomon is getting at is the actions of a foolish man are so against the advice and the teachings of the mother that it's as if the son hates his mother by the action that he's doing. So it's the action and the rampant disobedience that just looks like hate, disregard, and no respect. A wise person walking in the spiritual journey, we're going to seek wisdom, And we're going to seek wisdom because we want to honor and glorify God. And as a result of that, we are going to also be honoring our parents. And that is good. Now, verse 21 is a really important verse. And we're probably going to park here for a little bit. Because there's this principle that we've been kind of seeing in chapter 15 that I I really want to bring out. Notice what it says. It says, folly is joy to him who lacks sense. Now, we've been talking in Proverbs 15 about this concept of joy, of the satisfaction of one's soul. And I think Proverbs 15, in the book of Proverbs, as the rest of the Bible, clearly demonstrates that a person can only be truly satisfied, truly satisfied, in the Lord Jesus Christ. He is sufficient. In a sense, I don't need anything more than him. Now, he is gracious and he provides for other needs, but really, my soul should be enthralled and satisfied with Christ, enthralled and satisfied in the character of God. With that, then, comes the sense of joy, of 
of rejoicing in his character, rejoicing in his revealed will, rejoicing in in who he is, rejoicing in what he's doing in my life. So joy comes from that, that sense of satisfaction in the Lord for us as believers. Here we see something different. We see that a fool enjoys his folly. That one who lacks discernment, deep down, he thoroughly enjoys that folly. And that's why he doesn't want to leave. He doesn't want to leave his folly because he enjoys his folly. A couple things here, obviously. One, I will say this. Sin at the beginning is very fun when you do it. There is a sense of release. But I guarantee you, us as believers, the moment that we do sin and you have any spiritual conscience, you realize that almost immediately after you do that or sometime after you do that, it is no longer a joy. In fact, the, the sense of conviction and, and the sense of shame is, is overwhelming. And we can only have that lifted when we then ask for forgiveness from the Lord. But think about this type of person, and think about you before you were a believer, of all of the things that you truly said brought you joy. And, and when you did those things, you, you, you lied to yourself saying this brings me joy, and it was the thing that, that's all you thought about. All you thought about. This really came home for me this past week. Uh, I, I ended up going to the uh, county fair. Uh, I was one of the judges for the cute baby contests um and no i didn't make my daughter win she didn't get first place uh she should have but she didn't but she didn't smile so we got to get on that but anyways we stayed after and we listened to uh to a band kind of local band and they they sounded great the sound the sound was good and musicianship was great but Every song was about drinking. Every song was about partying. And, and, and the joy on their face about singing, about drinking. And I thought, that is, that's a perfect example here. That someone's life is so small. And someone has no spiritual insight. That the thing that is really foolish to do is the very thing that they're reveling in. It's the very thing that they're enjoying, right? So, so the, the, they, they find great joy and rejoicing in doing this thing, which we would all say, yeah, don't drink yourself, don't drink so much that you black out. That's a bad thing to do. These people revel in it. They find joy in it. Now, it is also true that as believers, we still deal with the flesh, Right? And we could all say here, sitting here in the room, what's our greatest joy? And as good Christians, we would say, sitting here in church, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think we all are mature enough to realize there are other things in this life that we also enjoy, which are not bad, but they could become sinful. They could become idols. We could try to seek satisfaction in them. And there are other things that are really detrimental no matter how you look at it, and there's still a sense of joy in that. Realize that is a very foolish way of thinking. It's a very foolish way of thinking. Because notice the next part of verse 21. 
but a man of understanding walks straight. So the sense you get is the one who, who has a lack of discernment, who makes really bad decisions, doesn't follow God's word, enjoys the sin, is, is not walking straight because he doesn't enjoy walking on the highway. He enjoys walking through the hedge of thorns. He enjoys that. So he's not going to walk towards the Lord. He's not going to follow the Lord. He's not going to consider, would the Lord Jesus Christ have me do this? Is my life looking like the Lord Jesus Christ? They're not going to do it. They enjoy doing the opposite. But the one who is redeemed, the one who is justified by Jesus Christ, this one who has discernment, who knows the scriptures, realizes that stuff is not really what brings me joy. The only thing that can bring me joy and satisfaction in my soul is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm moving towards him. I am walking towards him because I want to be closer to him. He's the only one that can bring me joy. All this other stuff cannot. It cannot satisfy me. Now, this is a lot easier said than done, but, but it's important to realize that that's really, a lot of times, when we're walking off the path, it's because we have joy in doing that wrong thing. And we need to pray, and we need to spend time in the Word. We need to spend time with the Lord Jesus Christ and pray that our hearts would desire to be closer to Christ, desire to be like Christ. Now, notice the next verse in verse 22. It says, without consultation, plans are frustrated. Once again, there's probably some practicality outside of spiritual matters, right? So if, if I decide to build a house, which is laughable, if I decide to build a house, and I don't consult people on how to do it, yeah, guess what? That's going to be the worst house ever. But can you really, let, let's say that I decide to, to build a house and then I consult people who also have never built a house. Is that really consultation if they don't know what they're talking about either? So it's not talking about having people around you or giving you advice. The consultation here is wise consultation. People who, are, who know what they're talking about. So without consultation, to me, this would be without those who are wise. So think about this. We're talking about walking down the path, walking with the Lord. So this would be without spiritual, wise, God-honoring, Christ-honoring consultation, guess what will happen? All of the plans of one's life will be frustrated, will be destroyed because they're not getting the right advice from the right people. I couldn't help but think of that passage in 1 Kings. Remember when Rehoboam took over for his dad and the people came to him and said hey Solomon had a lot of taxes on us could you lighten the taxes and all of the his counselors said hey that's probably a good idea it'd be really bad if you raise taxes and Rehoboam then goes to his buddies and goes what do you think about this guys and they say oh man you need to raise taxes and you know what you should say to them man, you should wish that my dad was alive with the amount of taxes I'm going to give you. And so Rehoboam, the genius, goes and tells people that. I'm going to raise taxes to the point that you wish my dad would rise from the dead and become king over you. The people didn't like that. 
But he had many counselors, and his plans were frustrated. By the way, it is also super ironic that the author of this, Solomon, his son did not listen to this. But let's be honest, Solomon is a really good case of do as I say, not as I do, right? But notice the next part of this, because this is really what, what, is, what is important. But with many counselors, this would be many God-fearing, many Christ-like counselors, they succeed, right? So many plans will succeed with many godly counselors, those who care what God says and want to follow God's word. So think about this on our spiritual life. We need people speaking into our lives who know God's word, who know Jesus Christ, who are going to give us good, godly advice that comes from this book that honors and glorifies Jesus Christ, and we should take that advice seriously. But there's another part to this advice giving, because notice the next part, verse 23. A man has joy in an apt answer, and how delightful is a timely word. So obviously, if I don't know if anybody's ever come to you and, and said, hey, what would you do in this situation? And you give an answer, and they go, that's exactly what I needed to hear. There's a sense of joy in that. There's a sense in giving godly advice. But I, I really think the second part is just as important as the, the first part, right? It's important to give godly, appropriate answers to the situation, that, that deal with the situation. But I also believe that it should be given at the right time. Tonight, we're going to be doing a survey of the book of Job. And if you ever want to see an example of how to say things that are kind of right at the wrong time, the book of Job is a really good example of that, right? Of somebody who gives rightish answers definitely at the wrong time. But notice this advice, so, right? So if I'm getting advice, I need to have many people around me who are godly, who are God-fearing, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who know the word. And when I give an answer, what's the most appropriate answer that I could give? One that points them back to the word and points them to the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Our advice should always be, what does the word say? What does the Bible say? What would honor and glorify Jesus Christ? What would, what would Christ do if he was in your situation? Those are the best kind of pieces of advice. This is, by the way, the, the, the path. This is what the path looks like. This is the description of the path. This is the description of the travelers on these different paths. You have the wise one who listens to advice, who gives out good advice. He is one who is seeking to honor and glorify the Lord. He's one who's walking by the power of the Spirit. Right? That's good. Then you have the foolish guy who's doing the opposite. And notice what Solomon says in verse 24. The path of life, which would be the, the path of wisdom leads upwards for the wise that he may keep him away from Sheol below. So notice you have this up there, down here type thing. The up here, to me, the upward would would most definitely speak of existing in that glorious existence in the visible presence of God. That would be heaven. Now, one does not go to heaven simply because they are obedient. 
That's impossible. One does not go to heaven because you happen to come to church or do lots of do-goodery. The Bible never teaches that. The Bible teaches that one goes to heaven on the basis and the works and the person of Jesus Christ. And I must place my faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for my sins, was buried, and rose again on the third day. I trust what he's done. The Bible teaches that when I trust in Jesus Christ, I'm imputed with his righteousness, which enables me to live righteously. So this passage is a description of one who has living by faith, one who already has the right kind of relationship with the Lord. You don't do this to get the right kind of relationship with the Lord. This is a result of the right kind of relationship with the Lord. And where does that lead us? That leads us upwards. That leads us to that glorious existence where we will be glorified. No more sin nature in the presence of our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever and ever. What an incredible existence. What an incredible thing. And that hope can be anyone's who places their faith in Jesus Christ. Notice that by doing this, what, what, what does it do? That it may keep him away from Sheol below. Not, once again, not that his actions will lead him to Sheol, but rather that his actions prove that he does not belong in Sheol. That God works on the hearts of people and moves them towards himself. So you have one that's going towards him, and you have one that's going away from him. And if one is heaven, then the other one is hell. If one is eternal conscious bliss, then the other one is eternal conscious punishment. If one is incredible joy and glorifying and worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever, then the other is living in this damnation, eternal damnation, and never able to be saved. That's the destination, right? Everyone is on a road trip. Everyone's on a journey. We all walk. We all travel. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know your destination. But it is also possible for a believer to want to live like the Lord Jesus Christ and do many foolish things. We do that a lot. Uh, yesterday, Ezra and I, we went on a mini road trip. We went to... Uh, went over to the Beaverton area to watch uh, an air show, which was the first one I've ever seen, and got a chance to see a whole bunch of air buses and jets and them doing tricks, and it was really fun. Uh, I might not be able to hear any of you today because some of those jets are really loud, but the Thunderbirds were there, and they were, they were really cool and flying in formation, so that was fun, but... Uh, the trip there was interesting, and uh, we, had, we got into a van. I went with Steve Van Horn, and we got into a van of eight other people, and we, we drove from his house to the airfield, cramped, and then they had us wait for like 45 minutes. Not a fun road trip. And there was a lot of times that in the midst of that car, it was really easy and I really felt the temptation to be angry, <laughs> to fly off the handle because the guy sitting inside of me kept on rubbing his leg on my leg and it was sweaty. I don't know about you, but 
something about that that just irks me. So there was that. We were there was no air. Uh, it was really, it was really, really, really hard not to live for the Lord Jesus Christ, and there was a lot of people doing stuff on the road that made it really difficult not to say things that were nice that honored and glorified the Lord Jesus Christ. Right, a lot of confessing that had to be done. Uh, there was just a lot of things that happened, and there was this easy temptation in the midst of that. And and as I think about our spiritual life, isn't that the same way in our spiritual life that there's a lot of temptation for us to to act in a way that's contrary to the way we ought to, the description that's found here. And these, these temptations are easy temptations for us to fall into. And so my advice is stay on the path. My advice is to stay in the word. My advice is to yield to the spirit. My advice is to be enamored with the person of Christ. And, and when you feel your, yourself leaning away from that, confess and continue to and be enamored with Jesus. Continue to be enamored with his word. Continue to walk in the power of the spirit. So, may the Lord give us the will and the ability to do all that we heard today. Let's go ahead and let's close in a, in a word of prayer. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you so very much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who's come and died on the cross for our sins and for the Spirit that enables us to to say yes to what is right and no to what is wrong and to live a life that is pleasing to you. We ask for those moments as we're, we're traveling from here to you and that you will continue to work on us, continue to shave away all of that that sinfulness, help us not fall into spiritual apathy, but help us be diligent in our spiritual life to to be walking with you. I thank you for today. I thank you for the fellowship that we've had, for the fellowship that we will have afterwards, and we ask that you would uh, allow us to go home safely and then come back tonight so that we are ready to hear your word and, and learn more from your word and learn more about your will and your character. We Thank you so very much for your son, Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we say, amen.